This is Essie Featured. This is the power of sports. Special Olympics is very important to me because without Special Olympics, there are some things that I don't think that I could accomplish all by myself. It changed my life because I was bullied a lot of my life and people didn't really understand like what the situation was. When I get on my board, I'm free. I'm free from my disability. I'm free from thinking. No one's judging me. No one's saying you can't do this. And can't is not in my vocabulary. Welcome into SC Featured Podcast. I'm Jen Latta. On today's episode, we have some incredible and inspiring stories about Special Olympics. Special Olympics is the world's largest sports organization for people with intellectual disabilities. It serves more than 4.7 million athletes in 169 countries. The mission of Special Olympics is to provide year-round sports training and athletic competition in a variety of Olympics-type sports for children and adults with ID. What is ID? Intellectual disability is a term used to describe a person with certain limitations in cognitive functioning and other skills. This includes communication, sometimes self-care, and these limitations can cause a child to develop and learn more slowly or differently than their peers. Intellectual disability is actually the most common developmental disability, with approximately 6.5 million people in the United States having an ID, with many of those people participating in Special Olympics. At its core, Special Olympics is about inclusion. While participating in Special Olympics brings these athletes joy, confidence, and a sense of accomplishment, that is not something that they always experience in their everyday lives. Dana Schultz is a 26-year-old from Wisconsin. She competes in snowboarding. I didn't have a very good middle school life or very good high school life. Lots of bullying, lots of negativity in my school, and which wasn't fun. But when I get on my board, I'm free. I'm free from my disability. I'm free from thinking, except for what I have to do, <laughs> of course. But um, I'm free and... No one's judging me. No one's saying you can't do this. And can't is not in my vocabulary. I will never say I can't do this. What many of these athletes find when joining Special Olympics is a place they feel welcomed. Many athletes use the phrase a family to describe Special Olympics and talk about the overwhelmingly positive outcomes of being part of this organization. Michelle Canazero is 28. She's from Florida and she competes in alpine skiing. Like, everybody always says, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. Like, I tried to go to college, and they were like, oh, you, you're never going to go to college. And it's like, watch me, I am. I'm going to go to college. Um, I actually went to administrative assisting and got my certificate. So I am a certified administrative assistant, and I proved them wrong. So to me, saying the athlete's oath it means showing people that say that you can't do something, that's proving them wrong. Apollo Ono is an eight-time Olympic medalist and a global ambassador for Special Olympics. My colleague Chris Hassel recently had a chance to talk to Ono. Thank you for joining us here. Thank you for having me. Obviously, I mean, this is just an incredible moment on such a large stage for these athletes. 
But as we've heard, many of them endure a lot in their daily lives, from struggling for acceptance to to bullying. How do you think participating in the Special Olympics can help them overcome or, or, or just deal with these challenges? Well, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, I think whenever you're dealing with a community of people, whether it's the Special Olympics or those who are have some, you know, significant intellectual disabilities or challenges, you know, they, they operate, unfortunately, sometimes in a world that is not as, I don't want to say accepting or welcoming. And I think the Special Olympics in general is a community of people who really have one sole purpose, and that's to generate kind of openness, caring, and collectively treating others as the same that we kind of want to be treated as well. So, you know, I was blessed to have an incredible career in short track speed skating, and some of these other athletes, they simply just want to compete. They want to play. They want to interact. They want to high-five. And I think sport, you know, is an accumulation of all of these incredible elements and life lessons that oftentimes can't be found outside of that arena. Yeah. And this is an opportunity to really bring them together in an atmosphere, whether it's a unified challenge where I'll go out and skate with the athletes themselves and we'll do a mixed relay or whatever the, the competitive nature is. I think it's all done in a positive way. Tell us about how you first became involved with these games and why it's so important to you personally. Well, I, you know, upon my retirement in 2010, I had always been a big advocate for the Special Olympics, but never really been as hands-on as I'd like to be, uh, whether it was given the travel or competing, you know, comp- competitive times. This was an opportunity for me to really kind of go in. And initially, I got to tell you, one of my first response was when I went to my first World Games and I experienced it. I, I, you know, I originally had thought that in my head, okay, I'm going to go lend my time and I'm going to help promote awareness. I'm going to give back to this community. It was more of me giving back. That's at least what I thought. And then upon, you know, my second day at these games, I realized that I was getting so much more out of it than I feel like even the athletes were getting. Because you know, something that's really special about what these games do is you see the pure at the core of what a human being appreciates about sport. You see the true happiness. You see the true effort, right? Life becomes very simple. And so colors are now no longer important. Flags are just melded into one. And instead, everyone's competing as their own. And it's quite a beautiful thing. So that's, that's really how I began was in 2010 early. And then every single year since, you know, I, I've been based here in the West Coast in Los Angeles and got a great community out in this part of the world. In 2015, we hosted the World Summer Games in L.A., which was a major, major breakthrough, I think, as an organization was just growing and, and just promoting, you know, these events. So anyone who's, you know, has a child or who has a friend or who has a relative who perhaps has and suffers from some of these challenges, you know, life doesn't end there. Um, there's an incredible opportunities for them to continuously grow and, and again, lend their, uh, their efforts to something that's just so much more fun. I have a, a younger cousin with Down syndrome, low 20s. You know, I, I've, uh, I've seen him play sports, and he's, he, he's never reached the level of a Special Olympian. But it, it just mm-hmm. seems to me like he has more fun out there playing than, than some of the rest of us. Uh, can, you, can you explain why it, it, it seems like sports can have such a positive, a more positive impact in some cases on special athletes than, than many of the rest of us? Sure. Well, I, you know, I think, look, sports at its core, you know, even though it's competition, even though in the U.S. here we, we oftentimes only celebrate those who get gold, through the power of sports, we have the ability to discover so much more about ourselves and others, right? So we see 
the skills, we see the physiology, we see the ability to grow, and we see true instantaneous goal setting and goal achievement that's on the field of play. On top of all of that, at the most kind of carnal nature of us as human beings, we are designed to move. We are designed to interact, whether it's playing, whether it's playing sports, right? So these things generate positive, I think, psychological and physiological benefits that have been proven, not only on data from the scientists that we see, but just we see it with our own eyes. Like exactly the example you shared with us, you see people just truly enjoying sport for what it was intended to be. And it's intended to just promote positivity and competitiveness in a really, really fantastic way. So real competition, real achievements, real sporting events, and uh, showing these success stories because they're so incredibly inspirational. And what would you say to people who are considering getting involved with this event? Look, we, we, you know, we live in a society now where, where everything is ever so fast changing. And so I think we as Americans and all over the world are seeking something closer to fulfillment, right? We want to live a life full of happy. We want to live a life that's got freedom. We want to live a life that's, that's really fulfilled. And so we want to feel that accomplishment. And when you give back to the community, when you give back in a specific way, and, you know, talking about the Special Olympics in particular, it's just such an incredibly experiential moment that you really got to attend. So for those of you who did hear and had that experience in Los Angeles, Everyone had said it was a life changer. It gave them different perspective. It allowed them to be humbled, to be more caring, to understand, I think, some of the fundamental important values of what sport and what community are all about. You'll, I, I guarantee you'll walk away from that experience uh, a changed person in a positive way. We're talking with Apollo Ono, one of the greatest speed skaters of all time. What is your role there? You know, my role, oh, I, I have several. Right. So one of them is, um, you know, whether we do media, I do promote awareness. I do try to gain as much traction as possible for this specific organization. And we try to promote the, the world of what the Special Olympics is really all about. At the core, Special Olympics is really on this global campaign to to just really create a community of people and acceptance of those who have intellectual disabilities, right? Because there is such a large population of people in the world who do have these challenges and they still are very functional society, everyone to their own varying degree. But for the most part, you know, bringing these athletes together who, whether they do or they do not have intellectual disabilities. So someone like myself who does not face these challenges, I can interact with them on a daily basis. I see them every single time I shake their hand, I skate with them, I interact with them, I eat with them. You know, this is, this is what really it's all about. And I'm blessed to be a part of an organization that really has just been such a huge global public health organization, really you know, dedicated to serving people with these disabilities. And it's so much more than just sport. When you go to a Special Olympics, for example, there's something called a healthy screenings where the athletes can get their eyes, their ears, their dental checked, right? So these things sometimes are not available in their respective countries, either because their advancement of the current society trends are not allowing them to gain the same type of access that we have. But we bring a large group of doctors and specialists from all over the world to lend their time and expertise to making sure these athletes on a yearly basis get access to some really, really great health care, which is very rare. Well, we can tell from your voice that you are extremely excited about the Special Olympics 2017 World Winter Games. Really appreciate your time and, and all the efforts out there, Apollo. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. And when we come back, we're going to tell you the story of Nick Hilton, raised by a single mother in Lansing, Michigan. What a bond these two share with one another. How Nick was able to find purpose in life despite many, many obstacles.
You're listening to SC Featured. I'm Jen Latta. Special Olympics athletes come from all different types of backgrounds. Having an ID or an intellectual disability already brings a certain set of challenges. But for some of these athletes, you add in growing up poor or coming from a low-income family who struggles to make ends meet. This is the story of Nick Hilton, a 24-year-old from Lansing, Michigan. Nick is joyful. He loves participating in Special Olympics. But the opportunity to go to Austria and participate in the World Winter Games brought a whole nother set of challenges. Nick didn't even have enough clothes or underwear and socks to be able to make the trip to Austria until his community stepped in to help him. This is his story. If he see anything that he won't, he'll just go for it. And I noticed that when he was real young, he came out fighting, came out like a, you know, his fists all balled up. The doctor told me that he was gonna be real special. Special. The bond between a mother and son often is pure and unconditional. Like the bond between 24-year-old Nick Hilton and his mom, Ola May. He was a preemie, a little three-pound, 12-ounce baby. You can take him and put him in the palm of your hand. He told me one time, he said, reason why I came early, Mom, because I got too hot in there. <laughs> when I was a little baby, I had all kinds of problems. I was born with a learning disability, and of course I got ADHD, so I act a little kooky sometimes. <laughs> Ola May works overnights cleaning offices at a hospital in Lansing, Michigan. She makes just enough to afford the small, subsidized apartment she shares with Nick. Sometimes I'd be up when he getting ready to go to school to make sure he's up. You know, go back to sleep, Mom, I'm okay. He'll protect me, try to, anyway. He's just right there when I need him. It is typically the mothers who watch over and protect their children. But Nick has reason to worry about his mom. She's already suffered two heart attacks. Both times, Nick was there to save her. When she came in my room, she said, oh, I'm sick, and then she passed out. I called 911, and then they came and got her, and then the doctor said that oh, I got her to the hospital just in time. I didn't think he was capable of doing that, and I was proud of him for saving his mother's life. He said, Mom, if anything will happen to you, I'll die. I don't want to lose my mom. She's been good to me. She's sweet. She's kind. She's my mommy. <laughs> and uh, she watches out for me. For the last few years, Nick has been enrolled in the Young Adult Program at the Beekman Center. It specializes in mentoring people with intellectual disabilities. Here, Nick doesn't feel like he's different. You may work in partners, you may work independently. In high school, they always be mean to me. They used to call me special ed. I got along with the little kids, but the bigger kids, mm-mm. Kids at the school call them crazy, faggot. You'll get mad sometimes. If I wasn't born with this ADHD, I wasn't born early, Mom, I'd be like the other kids. I said, whatever these kids saying about you, don't pay them no attention. I told him to be a go-getter. Seven years ago, Nick followed his mom's advice and found not only a sport he loves, but a space where he shines, snowshoeing for Special Olympics, which is essentially a race in the snow. 
All you gotta do is just run in the snow and just run as fast as you can. Try to get in first place. He said, everybody say, I'm good. I'm really, really good. I think it's my long legs or something. And I got gold medals from 2010 all the way up to 2017. Because of her work schedule, Olamay has never been to one of Nick's races. When we were in Lansing, we showed her video of her son snowshoeing. So this is the first time she has ever seen him compete in this event. Oh my goodness. Look at you. Wow. Olamay and Nick are sitting side by side on the couch. They are watching video on the computer. See, that's what I say. He's like a go-getter. I think this is the part when I dove. Oh, mm -hmm. sweetheart. Ooh, look at you diving. Honey. She is proud. She is beaming. She is coaching her son. I mean, I totally oh, passed out. I got so tired. Oh, well. We could just got to work on that. Okay? Mm-hmm. And coming in first place, running to 38 seconds, we have Nicholas Hilton. The medals represent more than races won. Nick has gained the confidence to do something he never thought possible, travel halfway around the world to represent the United States in the World Winter Games in Austria. We're here to give a great big Beekman congratulations, Nick Hilton! Hopefully, yeah, I'll bring a medal back. I said, Mom, guess what? I'm going to World Games. I'm actually, I'm going to Austria. He just came home and started dancing. Oh, I'm going to Austria. Hallelujah, I'm going to World Games. <laughs> that's what I did, I think. Yeah, that's what I did. I said, I'm going to World Games. I'm happy. But going to Austria means Nick will have to leave his mom. Ola May will not be able to travel to the World Winter Games. He said, Mom, this is what I want to do. I got a purpose in life, Mom. He said, God put me on this earth for some reason, and I'm going for it. I said, whatever that reason is, go for it. You know, I said, I'm right behind you. They certainly got you ready, kiddo. I'll zip that back up. We were there as Nick and his mom said goodbye before he left for Austria. Can't believe I'm leaving Lansing. I never thought this day was gonna come. Please don't cry. Oh, I won't. Okay, mom. All right, I love you. A mother's pride, like her love, is unconditional. And Nick carries both with him. When we come back, more stories from Special Olympics across the world. Welcome back to SC Featured Podcast. I'm Jen Latta. ESPN reporter Alfredo Lomeli joining us from Vienna to fill us in on Special Olympics. And he's working on a feature on a young man named Pablo Lazaro. He's a 21-year-old figure skater who will represent Mexico in the Special Olympics. Alfredo, thank you for joining us. So what makes Pablo's story unique? 
Well, there were so many things that struck me about Pablo and his family and just his overall story. The first one being that it's difficult enough as it is trying to pursue your passion. Now, Pablo, when he was very young, um, he was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. So that's the first thing that struck me. You know, if once you read about this condition, you realize how difficult it is to communicate both verbally and non-verbally with other kids, with your own family. You really do lack a lot of a sense of sarcasm, a lot of these things that a lot of us take for granted. So that's the first thing that struck me. How does this kid from Mexico, from very humble beginnings, end up at the Special Olympics and end up, you know, a world champion in what he does? And so that's the first thing. Um, the second thing was just how much support he got from the Special Olympics and from his family. Um, the story basically starts with him. It started with swimming. That's what he initially wanted to do. He saw his brother at, at a public swimming pool, and there was a swimming program that they wouldn't let him be a part of because he was a special kid for whatever reason. Um, I don't think they, it was a discriminatory issue. I think it was more of a fear of, of not knowing exactly how to handle a special kid like Pablo. Out of that, his mom was able to find the Special Olympics. They knew how to nurture his abilities. He learned how to swim, and they found out like a lot of people with Asperger's syndrome or many, I guess, diagnoses of, of autism, they are really, really good at certain things. For Pablo, that was sports. He's a figure skater who began in the pool as a swimmer. What does his training entail now? Well, his training, it, it, it's incredible. One of the things that his current trainer, Janet, speaks a lot about is how independent he is. And so he travels to three different cities in and around the Mexico City area to complete his training. He does six different training sessions. He goes on his own from his own apartment to the training sessions. He trains both in the pool and on the ice every single week. And really just his work ethic and dedication are just really striking. Let's hear from Pablo Lazaro on the impact Special Olympics has had on his life. Special Olympics changed my life. Through it, I received the opportunity to train and compete. I learned very valuable lessons like being independent, to bathe and dress by myself, and in the shortest time possible. How has Special Olympics changed Pablo's quality of life? Yeah, the Special Olympics have changed his, his quality of life drastically. You know, at a certain point, people, people there was kind of a, a taboo, especially when he was a kid in Mexico. They didn't know how to nurture kids with Asperger's syndrome. They didn't know what it was. You know, the other kids really would, you know, sort of make fun of him because they didn't understand that his unique way of acting and his lack of sort of social awareness wasn't really a handicap. Special Olympics made him see that. So Special Olympics helped him become independent. They helped him be able to just live on his own. He knows how to bathe himself. He knows how to change himself. He lives on his own. He goes to all his training sessions on his own. It was something that his mother was comfortable enough with letting him do once she saw what this great program does for kids, which is they help them lead as normal, and I say, you know, quote-unquote, normal of a life as possible, like the rest of us who just want to work, who just want to be independent and really live as beautiful of a life as we can. Alfredo, what should we watch for with Pablo? With Pablo, what you really want to watch for is just his enthusiasm. It, it's it's something that, again, for athletes and, and for people in general who have been diagnosed with one of the many what they consider disorders under the autism spectrum, 
one of the things that you really want to watch for because it's special to see is just how much they enjoy what they do when they've found their purpose. For some people with autism or Asperger's, it's something in the arts. It's not, you know, rare to see them with incredible musical gifts. For Pablo, it's sports. And one of the things that everybody just, you you can't help but smile when you see him on the ice or in the pool. It's when he's comfortable, it's when he's smiling. And Pablo knows that he's doing something special and he really cherishes every second of it. So he's going to be competing in two different disciplines. He's going to be doing figure skating alone and he's going to be competing in the pairs division uh, in category two. So you really want to check that out and just see how not only Pablo, but these hundreds of special athletes from all around the world Um, this is their time to shine, and you can tell that they're enjoying every second of it. Alfredo, thank you very much. Awesome, Jen. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks to all of our Special Olympic contributors. On the next SC Featured podcast, the story of Katherine Switzer, who 50 years ago became the first registered woman to run the Boston Marathon, paving the way for generations of future female runners. My father said, You don't want to be a cheerleader. Cheerleaders cheer for other people. You want people to cheer for you. The game is on the field. Life is to participate, not to spectate. Subscribe to the SC Featured Podcast on the ESPN app. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Jen Latta.